Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Happy new iPhone day, H. Oh, well, I, I didn't get one, but um, <laughs> if, if this is like a, some sort of a religious celebration for you and a particular one where you would be giving out a thematically appropriate presence, then, you know, I'm all up for that. Yeah, I actually, um, I burn all my iPhones and they, they burn for eight days straight. It's pretty... Um, oh, it's good for the environment, too. <laughs> yeah. Very fuel efficient, the iPhone. But the one thing that I thought was interesting is Apple puts on this really big, very expensive presentation for these phones that Mm -hmm. at the very top end of the range are, you know, $1,100 computers. These are not cheap items. And one of the ways that they showed off just how blazingly fast their new processor was, (laughs) was a demo of League of Legends uh, Mm -hmm. running on a phone. And I got to tell you, nothing impresses me less (laughs) in terms of video games than Riot's League of Legends. It's not because it's a terrible game or anything like that, but just so old and such dated visuals that I it's hard for me to to be like, oh, my God, it can run League of Legends. I, I think a Chromebook could run League of Legends at this point. And apparently Apple is still even sidestepping putting 120 hertz on their phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My phone currently has 120 hertz, and it's great. I like it. it. It does make a difference, and it is noticeable, despite Apple saying that, you know, no human eye can tell the difference. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, they say that, but their their computer screens are that refresh rate or higher. Uh, their iPad is 120 hertz refresh rate, and, yeah, they say that nobody can see... Uh, 120 hertz on the phone but at the same time today they were like check it out it's called dolby vision and you can record it so yeah uh, yeah i think it's they're trying to have their cake and eat it too on this one yeah um so speaking kind of from the opposite end of the spectrum going from apple products to windows products Ah. i uh, uh when i built my current pc i built it with a very small SSD as this boot drive, you know, as you do, um, because, you know, you don't need that much room on your boot drive. You're just kind of installing the operating system and, um, presumably, you know, it never grows or shrinks other than the occasional update here or there. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you get a bunch of hard disk drives for the uh, actual storage, um, the meaty kind of storage capacity needs. Yeah. And so I never really thought anything of it until I started using the computer and then all of a sudden I noticed like, oh, some programs only want to install to the C drive. And there's the whole like app data folder, which is where, you know, video game save games go and where a bunch of stuff is just kind of dumped with no way of redirecting it. And pretty soon, like that small SSD started filling up and getting kind of dangerously close to Mm. being completely full. And I don't even know or want to know what happens when your boot drive becomes full. And so I always was nervous about uh, addressing the problem because I always thought like, it's the boot drive. That's kind of like my copy of Windows is stored on that thing. Like, you know, how do I even replace a boot drive? But I uh, finally kind of muscled up and did it yesterday and uh, replaced my boot drive with a a much larger SSD um, with uh, plenty of room left over to install a few games on as well. It was a 
a harrowing experience trying to replace a boot drive. But, you know, once once you kind of get that reassurance that like the software knows what it's doing, you're not the first one to have ever done this, then uh, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it feels better now. It's interesting to hear you say that, right? Because they're, it's funny, we have these big machines and we use them for years on end and it's not until... It's not until you like open them up and go to replace like one single part where you kind of have this moment of, oh, this is all incredibly fragile, isn't it? <laughs> this is going to all come tumbling down. I've made so many upgrades to my computer. Like every single time I feel like I'm Icarus flying a little bit closer to the sun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, you're right. I, I actually, Windows has gotten pretty good at handling most of that stuff over the years. And, mm-hmm. and in, in many ways, it's the best it's ever been. And in other ways, it's uh, vexing in new ways that it wasn't before. Yeah. But uh, anyways, I'm rolling with a, with a very nice, um, you know, large SSD for my C drive. I was able to move quite a bit off of the drive that I almost exclusively use for games. And so I was able to, uh, cause that, um, that four terabyte hard drive was just about filling up as well. And so I moved over a lot of the, like the big games that I'm just going to kind of keep installed forever. You know, the ones like mm. Hitman two and, and Mortal Kombat 11 and games that were like, you don't finish them and uninstall them. You just kind of leave them on the system because you might want to revisit them from time to time. Uh, so I moved a lot of those over to the solid state drive. So, uh, looking forward to getting some better load times as well. I, uh, I'm always, I had a, a bad drive replacement experience uh, about a year ago where I think things through the Windows store, which I know people have tough times with, <laughs> like I removed the drive that some Windows store things were on and it was just convinced that uh, those things still existed on some drive that if I could just find it, it would be able to boot it. But <laughs> lo, the games were definitely not on any hard drives connected to the system. But I, I think I, I found some utility or something that cleaned up the whole mess for me. Um, I probably copied all my keystrokes in the in the uh, interim, but <laughs> not not too bad. Well, let's get to some video game pitches today. You are going first this afternoon. Yeah, so today I wanted to bring to you an adventure game, but I want to play this game as a, maybe a spirit or a non-corporeal being, maybe somebody who's passed on in the afterlife and you're limited in some way by the, the constructs of that situation. So you can go to any place, but you can only go to any place three times times so you uh can obviously visit a place once see what's there um you might want to obradin style make yourself some mm-hmm. notes maybe we give the player some sort of notation tool but once you're there your clock sort of begins and you can only return twice uh of course some mechanics to work out in terms of how to be a little bit more forgiving in that but i wanted to start there all right starting the clock so uh, lately, over the past week, I've been playing a new release called I Am Dead from Annapurna Interactive. Um, they always do good stuff, and this is a game coming from the developers of Hohokam and Wilmot's Warehouse, which is another one that we reference uh, from time to time here on Playwright. And um, I Am Dead, you play a museum keeper who has, uh, before the beginning of the game, um, died. And you are essentially a ghost who can kind of go around various parts of the island. And uh, kind of the interesting gameplay mechanic is that you can 
kind of, uh, I don't want to say slice into objects, but you can kind of like, you can zoom into them. And as you do, the walls of the object kind of disappear and you can start to see kind of like the innards. And, um, and so, you know, you can kind of phase through things and, you know, it's fun if you're phasing through a watermelon, then you get to see it kind of transform from like a green circle into a, you know, green on the outside, red on the inside with little seed, you know, black dots kind of fleck, um, flecking in and out as you pass through it. But uh, basically it's, it's all about kind of solving puzzles using a kind of uh, almost like a wall hack type of uh, type of power set, I guess you could call it. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the idea of trying to limit the space. Of course, it creates a burden on the developer to potentially have to generate quite a few spaces in order to make the, the place interesting because you you don't ever want to just feel like, okay, now all I can do is I've been to every place and I can only um, be to every place again <laughs> two more times. The feeling of maybe the capability of evoking things from those places, right? Maybe when I go into a place, I can note the objects that are there, the people that appear there, um, and there's interactions in some of these other spaces to to summon those people or to make them take an action, right? If you can cut the power at the power plant, maybe the people at the you know the shopping mall. I mean, <laughs> I haven't nailed down a setting, obviously. Um, will leave and and kind of disperse throughout the world, but kind of finding ways to push on the world or or maybe even reset the number of times that you can go to a place or earn back your your visit. There's a gosh, there's a there's a game this reminds me of, but I'm not going to remember what it is unfortunately if it comes back to me, but it's one of those where you can kind of like you can do a very set number of things in any order, but then kind of if like they're all kind of assigned a time slot in a way or a certain amount of time uh, elapses when you choose to do one of them and kind of depending on which order you do them in, you'll kind of experience different things because you'll be hitting those, you know, later, uh, later activities or areas at different times, different characters will be there. Real kind of day night cycle time would have passed, but, uh, you know, we can kind of, uh, structure it in such, such a way that, that, um, you know, there's a, there's, there's like a, almost like a puzzle, like an order of operations that you, uh, reach the ideal outcome from by uh, doing things in this certain order. Yeah, I think that's cool. I one one of the things I keep thinking about is uh, I I played a lot of Spiritfarer recently, which is a game kind of about shepherding um, some spirits into the afterlife. And in that game, you spend a lot of time with a small cast of characters. I like the idea of maybe writing this game or writing some some lines that really ramp up how precious the time is together. So maybe it's a little bit more, um, what, what is that? I know the concept uh, that Captain Toad Treasure Tracker sort of evoked, which is the the very interesting Japanese garden filled with a l- rich with details and interaction and kind of things to look at and play with. And maybe, you know, a return to the adventure game space is not about creating um, a lot more locales, but um, like Disco Elysium, really triple and quadruple 
down on the richness of each of these locales. So one, if one of the places is, for example, your old family home or something, you know, this is your last uh, few times you get to spend with your your partner or your children. And for that to be very sort of melancholy all the way to saccharine, but, you know, a place where you could really spend an hour. But once you leave, you know, there's only, you know, a limited amount of returns. So being a ghost, you know, are we the type of ghost who's going to be interacting with people or is this more of a kind of wordless adventure like a, like The Witness or something like that? I think if it was, if you wrote it to be something where the ghost can't talk to people or the ghost can't interact, maybe you get the sort of, I'm actually <laughs> invoking the Patrick Swayze ghost power yeah. with a <laughs> with focus. You can poke things and kind of move them around. But um <laughs> If you did that, I think it would be nice to make something about the narrative of the game about letting your loved ones know something or passing on a message to them and only having a limited number of um, visits to do so. Because that could even create, you know, by visit two, you are able to pass on the message, but potentially you get the wrong one, right? So you could play with the, the dynamics of communication there. So what types of uh what types of interactions can we have with the world? You mentioned potentially being able to interact with objects, maybe being able to interact with people in some way, but like are we seeking to really kind of affect the way that things are going or to mainly kind of learn bits and pieces of a story kind of passively? I do like the idea bringing in traditional adventure game mechanics and maybe finding out as you're now a spirit that there is this layer, this spirit layer over the entire world that you yourself can interact with and uh, learn about and solve puzzles to. And maybe maybe it's solving some of these spirit level or beyond uh, layer puzzles that allows you to unlock further visits. Okay. So what happens when you run out of visits for all of the different locations that you can go to like do it does kind of every combination of pathways end up leading to an ending and do you think that like the actual reality is like we can't stop players from just playing the game again with the information that they have from the last playthrough like does that detract from it or does it add to it like are you getting more from multiple playthroughs and the information that you you are carrying over or does it kind of defeat the purpose of what you're trying to build? No, I think one thing that that sort of evokes when you ask that question for me is you remember the ending of her story. Mm -hmm. There's kind of an in, in fiction character that approaches you and says, do you want to keep poking around her or are you good? Are you done here? I do yeah. like the idea of um, at some point in the game voluntarily passing into, you know, the beyond. Um, so the, I think maybe to, to balance that a little bit, some mechanic where like in spirit fair, you can kind of do these little missions where you're just trying to touch jellyfish or you're trying to capture lightning in a bottle and you do all these little things and they, they essentially give you currency to, to keep moving and progressing in the game, but you're, they're not really limited and they're, not really violent in any way, potentially an exercise or mini game like that to earn back your uh, spiritual energy that gets depleted from going to a place or rejuvenating the spirit or will of a location. 
um, so that you can revisit it. And, and that way, um, you know, a person has the option of kind of walking away when they're sated um, or potentially going through and engaging with some of the, the minigame systems to grind up some of their spirit energy or grind to increase rather. <laughs> All right. Let's close it down. Let's give it a name. There is a really, I'm going to name this after one of the first PC adventure games I ever played um, that scared the pants off me, even though this is not a scary game. That game was called Amber Journeys Beyond. I don't know that one. Yeah, it is very obscure. I'm sure it was played by two people, but it was kind of a horror game. And I do love the the term Journeys Beyond. It, it feels like it fits this. It's a good one. All right. This can be kind of a spiritual sequel in a way. Um, let's go to my pitch for the day. Uh, this this might be a little bit uh, complicated, but I was thinking it it uh, as I was upgrading my computer, I uh, I got to thinking about this. So how about a game that emulates the experience of playing old games on newer hardware beyond what it was optimized for? So you have to kind of simultaneously manage four windows with four different games. Um, each of them with different issues on the new hardware. Like maybe they run too fast because your new screen can put out more frames than the game is optimized for, or you know, those types of things. So just like the types of issues you get with old games sometimes. You can choose to break parts of your computer to decrease the processing power overhead, but it might have <laughs> adverse consequences on the remaining games. So, yeah, I'm going to start the clock there. I love the idea of of using this almost like the heat system in Hades, where uh, <laughs> where when the game is, if a game you're playing is running super fast, then potentially the enemies are just cascading at you at a, at a, at a, at a blinding rate. So making the choice of, yeah, you can make this easier on yourself, but maybe when you're getting two FPS in Hitman, it's not going to feel so good. Yeah, so it's... Um... You know, there's. I want the the I want the temptation to be there to just kind of like grit your teeth and bear through the. You know, the, like if if a game is running too fast, uh, like I was saying a few weeks ago, I was playing The Tourist on my computer and it booted up with a message that said like, "Don't play this if your monitor refresh rate is any faster than sixty frames a second." It wasn't optimized for that. I have a one hundred and forty four hertz monitor, and so. I just kind of ignored it. It was like, whatever, I'll just have it refresh at 66 or at 60 and cap there. And, uh, it's not going to be a problem. When I started playing it, you know, the guy was moving around pretty quickly, but it didn't necessarily like immediately read like something was wrong until I started getting a little bit later on be like, this is actually really difficult to play and uh, looked up a video and found that I was running it at more than like double speed because it mm -hmm. was just having trouble. Like, it re like it wasn't able to adjust for higher refresh rate monitors. You know, I have that experience and there's other things like uh, I played the Curse of Monkey Island, that's Monkey Island 3, uh, before the good old games release. It was, um, I actually pirated a version of it like many, many, many years back and played it on a modern PC at the time. And at that point it was probably like 15 years old already. So when I booted it up it looked okay for a couple minutes and then all the graphics started going weird and all kind of like mixed up colors and animations would kind of blur into each other and stuff like that and so you know just i i don't know if it may be kind of a lost art in the future um as computers start to kind of like stabilize in their design and ar architecture uh whether 
old games will still be as unplayable as games from like the nineties are on modern computers. But, uh, you know, it is, it's kind of a unique experience playing something that technically installs and works, but has like serious compromises to playability. Yeah. And now we have almost whole services like good old games, uh, that are about putting in, I imagine, some amount of yeah. resources to to restore aspects of these things. <laughs> I wonder if there's like a a tinkerer aspect to the pitch. I wonder if you can, in addition to breaking parts of your computer, if you can kind of dig through a garage and find an old like sound blaster and stuff to get the sound running again. And um, I mean, of course, these things have different parts over time, but maybe if you if you work uh, or, or if you if you set the a layer that's in somebody's old house you can kind of assemble old pc parts from all corners uh, oh you found an old motherboard and you know, you found an old 56k modem that's the only mm. thing that this game will detect for game spy multiplayer there could be ways of kind of connecting like finding back doors in some of these games to connect to like an old version of the internet where you can order equipment that would have been like modern at the time of the game, kind of like a hypnospace outlaw where it kind of drops you in this alternate reality, late nineties internet facsimile. And so you can, you can order things. Maybe you can even kind of like buy and sell stocks, like all of this with the, with this kind of, uh, this idea that you are actually doing it in the past, but it is still kind of affecting your modern life. Like these, uh, these ancient parts are being delivered to your home and you can actually potentially prevent world events from happening. I don't know. I, I do like the idea of, of also, um, even if there's no, this sort of secret time travel mechanic, I like the idea of having access to, I don't know, we'll call it, junk bay or something like that or junkers bay um, where you can go on and bid on items and uh you know order yourself some old parts um you know wait for them to arrive but (laughs) you could then then also introduce a passenger time you could layer a lot of mechanics onto it but i do also just like the idea of when you say break computer parts have it a little bit surgeon simulator style of just okay go Go around the house, grab a bottle of like grape soda and just start pouring it on the graphics <laughs> card. See what you get going here. Maybe you can gunk up a fan or two with enough uh, bubble gum or dust to to make the heat system overheat yeah. and down clock. I mean, there is kind of a fun, like almost like a um, PC building simulator in there where you do have to have some level of knowledge about what the different parts of the computer do. And maybe that could be even a good way of testing it. Like, or of teaching, um, rather, where you can uh, you can let people break things, see what goes wrong, and then you know they know in their minds how to adjust for next time. You know, and it's all about finding that kind of perfect balance of uh, playability. But again, you're kind of breaking the other games as you go. So you can either you know go as far as you can in one, and then try to break it, uh, or you can uh, try to play them all kind of simultaneously uh, and uh, try to work through the various hurdles that breaking and repairing various parts gives you. I like that. And I, I do love the idea too of, of playing with the physics, right? Potentially the right strobe light could uh, illuminate your monitor in such a way where you're able to see the proper frame rate 
of the game. <laughs> Although uh, the epileptic seizure warning is basically a requirement at that point. In terms of the the thing that I think is is interesting is having if you have all the games and all the computer parts laid out in front of you. Let's say we give you a couple graphics cards, you know, a couple of monitors and and everything's kind of of different power levels and sophistication. The idea of breaking things and also trying to play through all the games um, also kind of is a puzzle box in and of itself. So I mm-hmm. think you have to have the array of options. What I'm worried about is breaking my computer in the wrong way before I get to a particular game and not having a chance to to you know play a demo disc of everything i guess this guy actually kind of reminds me of being able to play a demo disc not not the breaking stuff but just a little game tapas i think you should be able to fix everything that you break without too much trouble okay maybe you have kind of like you have a credit card and so you can keep charging it for new parts to replace the ones that you break <laughs> but uh you know you're trying to finish these games with as small of a debt as possible <laughs> kind of like golf like yeah smallest debt is the uh the high score that's hilarious because i i do love the idea of completely foolishly blowing money and then seeing a just a massive <laughs> congratulations you played through 13 games and it only costs you twenty five thousand dollars mm-hmm. <laughs> what could we do around like interesting uh breaks like, is there a way to potentially break the computer in the right way such that one gains a gameplay advantage in a game? Yeah, for sure. I think you could uh, you could potentially break it in ways. You know, what I've seen sometimes is graphics cards, as they're starting to die, you get a bunch of like weird things on screen. You it's kind of beautiful. Game, yeah, you'll get uh, polygons kind of extending out into the distance and uh, weird shapes and colors that aren't supposed to be there and things that actually look like they are embedded within within the game world because for all intents and purposes you know the graphics card which is failing at the time is rendering that game world so maybe certain types of failures could actually produce you know interactable polygons that um that can help you kind of cross ravines or can help you you know in various ways uh, accomplish your goals i like that i i also do like the idea of if there's any kind of physics-y aspect to it, like running super long wires, because actually, you know, electricity, image signals, all this stuff actually do take time to travel across wires. So if you wanted to slow down a frame rate or a monitor connection, just like, okay, I'm going to go buy a 60-foot wire to connect to this thing, and then <laughs> then you can kind of uh, hack your way. So it, if you know kind of the basics of how some electronic stuff works, uh, or maybe there's cool magazines like, uh, period appropriate magazines or something around the, the office space that you can read and get these sort of hints. Uh, that could be, that could be really cool. Let's close it down and let's give it a name. What, what would you, what do you call a broken computer? Is it, is bricked still apply or is that like a phone thing? Brick. Yeah. That's uh that's something you would call a computer that no longer boots anymore. Brick breakers, brick, uh, bricked house, ghastly bricked house, as in she's a bricked (laughs) house. Uh, hmm. Uh, Surely this is already a game name, but what do you think about like foobar? (laughs) That's funny, actually. I think that works pretty well. Yeah, let's go ahead and co op that. I don't know of any other games called foobar, so 
I think we can claim it. Let's go over to our community and see what you all have written in today. This comes from our old friend Richard Radford, who says, Dear H&Q, so much of my communication with people has been virtual over the past several months, and I've noticed that I have been in regular contact with some folks who I hadn't talked to in years, while there are others who I used to talk to every day and haven't spotted since March. I was thinking this might make for an interesting game about the way that relationships evolve over time. You could start with you meeting a new person with a stable of random initial conditions in grade school, at a bar, online, etc. And then each time you log in, a random period of time has passed and you are communicating with them again. Sometimes the interval could be small, say a few days, and sometimes there could be huge jumps. Has it really been two years since we talked? The game progresses through the years all the way to the end of your lives or the point at where you communicate with them for the last time. Each run could vary wildly. Maybe one night in college you try to, you try a drunken hookup with them, and then the next time you log in, you could uh, uh, you two could joke about what a bad idea it was hung over the next day. Or maybe it's a game over and you never speak again. Or maybe the next thing you get is a text from them asking you to pick up diapers on the way home from work tonight. As far as format, there's a wide array of possibilities. It could be a text-based um, it could be text-based, or it could have a mixture of graphical styles with in-person meetups, phone calls, emails, texts, letters, photographs, etc. And the various decisions you can make on how to proceed or respond. As you wrap up each friendship, you could be presented with a sort of shoebox of memories that the person and your relationship and uh, what you meant to each other. Uh, thanks, as always, for making quarantine so much more entertaining. Well, thank you very much. Let's go ahead and get started on that one. I love this. This is such a sweet idea. I didn't know we'd be talking about, you know, and then of course the sequel to this game is my afterlife pitch from earlier in the show, right? But uh, <laughs> the, yeah. I, one of the things that comes to mind as you were reading through this letter for me was actually the iOS game Florence mm-hmm. and how that game kind of really leverages the feeling of different interactions per situation. And some of them are, you know, interpretations and abstractions of actual interactions between two people. But some of them are as simple as like scrolling through your text list um, and potentially responding in some way. So I do like the idea of mixing the sort of interactions um, and in terms of runs. I love the idea of having some, some of these AIs be maybe a little malicious, like have the sense of they suspect that you don't remember them and almost quiz you on themselves. One thing that I kind of recognized recently is that, you know, there's nobody that I'm closer to than my partner, obviously, we we live together. Uh, But as I look through my text messages, oftentimes she isn't in the, you know, top 10 or so. I don't know if there's 10 people I regularly talk to, but like I'll I'll look at our text message and the last one will be from like two months ago because we just kind of see each other at home, right? (laughs) especially when we're not leaving the home very much anyways. Like there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of reason to text back and forth. And so if I were to, uh, you know, if, if I were to be murdered and the police find my cell phone, like, and they look at my text message history, they wouldn't probably even necessarily pick up that, uh, she's my partner because there's not a lot of, uh, interaction going on there. So I I do like this, um, this concept in that, like, 
serious steps in your relationship can sneak up on you uh, kind of off screen, um, things that wouldn't be communicated through text because people would be having face-to-face conversations. It's one of the things I really love about to go wildly off topic about the Dracula novel is that every chapter is written by one of the characters in the form of a journal entry or a letter to another character or something like that. And so you get a you get an account of things that have already happened, but at the end of each chapter, you don't know where the character is or if they're okay until you hear from them again, uh, which is like such an interesting way to build suspense into a, a horror novel that is a novel. You know, it's not a movie or something like how can you build suspense in a book when, you know, but, but you can, you can, uh, you can use the, the format in ways to uh in, in ways that like really no other medium can be used right in, in sort of that scenario too you're in a you're in a world where you get to play with the idea of what information the characters know and did dole it out to the the reader in the same way that the characters know it which is which is interesting maybe there's a way to portray that somehow in the game i'm trying to think through how to create the feeling of, I mean, obviously you can just do it with transition, but like how to suggest that you might need to reach out to someone or that you might need to check in with them. I, it's, it's almost like, do you just gently nudge and be like, Hey, it's been a while since you've spoken to so-and-so. Do you want to, to text them or do you wait for the active conversation you're engaged in to bring up this other person? There are some games kind of like uh, Emily is Away or A Normal Lost Phone where you are kind of going through somebody's either kind of simulating their like AIM conversations or you are going through kind of like a phone and all of the history that's contained there within. So it could be some setup where either all of these conversations have already happened and you are kind of like sequentially going through the archive, in which case... Well, I guess we do want to maintain some level of agency and decisions that the players can make, but uh, you know, it could be something like that, or we could be, you know, like interacting with an AI, almost like um, oh, what is the game? I'm not going to remember its name now. It's some, it's a simple kind of one word, like Forsaken or something like that. But you are communicating with an astronaut who's stuck on Mars, and oh. every like it kind of plays in real time where he'll text you and you'll get a notification from the game. He'll ask you a question about like, I just came across a, you know, a giant kind of valley. What do I do? And you can choose one of three responses, like try to cross the valley, turn back or find a place to shelter for a little while. And then like real time will pass. And then like four hours later, you'll get another notification from the game uh, with the kind of results of what happened in his next message to you. So uh, yeah, I think there are different ways to handle this. One of the things that I, I'm thinking about in terms of the interactions too, especially via text, the we've all gotten the butt dial. We've all gotten maybe the, mm-hmm. oops, this was supposed to go to someone else text message. And I do like the idea of the game finding moments to inject that of you get a, you yeah, sure, you you, did, you get off a phone call or you see another phone call's coming in. It's a butt dial and you hear somebody talking because depending on how you dole out the information or how you meet each person, you might not know what this person sounds like. 
you might not know what this person looks like. So the idea of revealing to you these things throughout the, throughout a run, I even like the idea of his, uh, Richard Shoebox idea at the end to show, Hey, these are, this was your friend, Ben, you know, and, uh, you did this or this or this, or you could flip the script and actually do something that's far more, um, who do you think your friend Ben was, you know, it was, and then you can kind of drag a, a photo and a character description, um, and maybe a couple life events. And it's almost a, you know, a test at the end of, you know, do can you keep all these relationships straight? Yeah. In a way, um, that kind of plays out like, uh, like a dating sim or something like that, where, you know, information about a character will be revealed early on that you're supposed to kind of like maintain as a way of kind of, you know, simulating paying attention and learning about somebody and, uh, you know, them feeling heard and understood through your relationship. So what is the ultimate payoff of each of these kind of strands that you can go down, uh, these relationship strands, like, you know, he was talking about maybe having, uh, kind of, yeah, like a shoebox at the end that kind of contains some, uh, sentimental objects, but is there kind of like a, so like an end game or like a wrap up to a story, or do you just get to kind of like witness the simplicity of a relationship and just kind of feel good about the story for what it was without needing like an elaborate, uh, elaborate bow to tie it all together? I think one way to, to maybe package this is, <laughs> uh, gosh, this might sound sad, but, uh, I think the, the general course of human life is that we start off being exposed uh, usually to very large groups of people in schools. We build networks very quickly. We meet people, we're friends. And then, you know, as people have major life events, as they leave school and go into jobs, now your social pool is kind of really people that you work with or have worked with. And then you see people become parents and have to invest in their children. And the the close friends circle for a lot of people is potentially sh- always shrinking, right? So I do like the idea using this game in many ways to, to play with the idea of what it takes to maintain a friendship over the years. And it's sometimes it's as simple as, you know, I, I'm not, gosh, I mean, we do this. Sometimes it's just a, here's a midweek a uh, text or check-in that's uh, beside the show mm-hmm. as our way of saying, hey, I thought of you when I saw something, or, um, hey, I got a question for you. And the the alternative is, like, did you call your mother? Uh, it's Mother's Day, right? And that's also an important interaction. So mm-hmm. finding out the important interactions for the people that you want to be friends with in these runs and kind of seeing seeing that pool shrink and down to who you really maintained relationships with, meaningful relationships with, and kind of at the end, like who your, quote, best friends ended up being. We're just about out of time there. Let's wrap it up and let's find a name for it. Richard did not come in with one of all things. What do we call our our lifelong... The term pen pal is kind of nice. It's not super relevant in a digital age, but I think the term has kind of retained some level of meaning. I do. I do like that. I do like that. And, and maybe in the shoebox at the end, you get to read a heartfelt letter handwritten from each of the friends that you've kept over the years. 
right. Um, let's let's wrap that up. If if you would uh, like to submit a video game pitch of your own, you can do so by going to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. You can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. While you're listening to things, go check out the other great shows on the Canon Rinse Network, like The Sausage Factory, like Canon Rinse, and like Sound of Play. All right, to take us out of the show today, I believe that you are bringing in a redacted game. We have a two-episode losing streak, I believe, so um, let's see this, if I can pull this one out. I think this, maybe we could break it here. Okay, I believe in you. Here we go. <laughs> this is This is a weird game description because it starts with an in-universe quote. So um, I'll do my best to put this on for you. Let me tell you, these ain't no ordinary redacted we're talking about. These here are redacted. The ones, <laughs> the ones that gonna kick you in the nads. <laughs> and they're not, and they're not, <laughs> and they're the ones on your side. They must be from redacted or something. That is a quote from Colonel Angus, redacted expert. Okay. Uh, now on to some game description here. The survival of the redacted is at stake. Dish out revenge on the green redacted who stole the redacted's redacted. Use the unique destructive powers of the redacted to lay waste to the redacted fortified castles. Okay. So All right. There. All right. So we're getting green felt like an important detail in there. The enemy is green. Yeah. <laughs> they stole something from the people who uh from the people on our side potentially both sides live in castles it's kind of a medieval type of there's uh, yeah there's i mean it says here redacted fortified castles there is a bit more description but since it's a long description i'll i'll we'll see if we need to to tap into it i'll make an initial guess that this is one of the orcs must die games at fantastic guess this is not an orcs must die game so kind of further expounding upon my thought process here, there are what seem to be friendly units that potentially are unpredictable or are dangerous in their own way. Things that... I mean, they're going to kick in the nads for sure. Yeah. But they're on your side. Yeah, you don't want that. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's, let's think about how many, how many video game characters do we know definitely have nads? Um, that should really narrow it down. <laughs> That's question true. often doesn't come up in that's true and here's a, here's a hit for you there would be no way to confirm in this game <laughs> okay <laughs> let me give you i'll because it, you you got one guess under the belt i will give you one hint uh it, it uh came out on two platforms mm-hmm. but nobody knows <laughs> or very few people i mean microscopic probably experienced it on its second platform so it's really known for one. Mm. See, my second guess, I was kind of leaning towards uh, one of the Overlord games, which I I think I guess quite frequently in this yeah. uh, in this section, which also did release on two platforms. I think it was just 360 and PC, but I know that while the PC or the uh, 360 version was more popular, it has since kind of picked up a following on the pc or maybe not a following but it's been very very cheap in sales and so i'd imagine a lot of pc players own it in their libraries anyways i want you to break the losing streak so i i do feel i've got something pretty mainstream here for you okay all right so green 
enemies, green enemies. <laughs> Are we looking at something that's kind of like medieval adjacent? Um, certainly, uh, I guess it's there are certain things one might say are are medieval in their mechanics but i i don't know if i would call the theme uh or the setting distinctly medieval hmm, interesting so that makes me think about kind of like when they transpose medieval tropes into modern day settings especially since the character being quoted is like a colonel or something like that a colonel yeah who is a redacted expert <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a redacted expert makes me think that like whatever he's talking about is uh, almost like a Pokemon, you know, where oh. like it's it's a big enough part of this game world that there are people who specialize who in, in its study, right? So that's a keen thinking, observation. That's that's a very keen observation. <laughs> but the, the green enemies thing is a thing that's really kind of <laughs> and they are kind of, unmistakably kind of green. This is not a a bait and switch. Oh, <laughs> uh, geez. Before this you take probably... the next guess, I'll, I'll, I'll let me just read this middle part again. The, the survival mm. of the redacted is at stake. Dish out revenge on the green redacted who stole the redacted's redacted. Use the unique destructive powers of the redacted to lay waste to the redacted fortified castles. Gosh, so we are storming castles... Again, like this, this, storm, this storming might be strong. You're laying waste to laying waste to. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this feels very Warcrafty, but I feel like that isn't medieval adjacent as much as it actually is medieval. It's, I would say uh, the the recognizable enemies though in that game do fit the description generally of green. Yeah, I guess like Warhammer Forty Thousand also fits. Do, does this fit anywhere within the Warhammer verse? 40,000 or otherwise. It does not. And I feel okay. comfortable telling you this is not an RTS okay. game of any sort. I'm going to read you now. Is that your second? That's your official yeah, second? Yeah, that'll be my second guess. Okay. Here is the last piece of description. Redacted features hours of gameplay, challenging physics-based redacted demolition, and lots of replay value. Each of the 63 levels requires logic, skill, and brute force to crush the enemy. I feel like there's so much information out there. This has to be super obvious right now, and I'm just completely <laughs> I, in the it, wrong frame of mind. Yeah, okay. And, and, and it is, I will, it's a 80 on its platform. Okay. It is the 25th best game game on this platform of 2009 2009 great okay it is the 14th most shared game on its platform of 2009 but get this age it's the number one most discussed game on its platform of 2009 2009 what was blowing up interesting 2009 and i mean this shit was everywhere <laughs> so let's see 2009 what were the big the big heavy hitters um of course we've already done 50 cent blood on the sand and the enemies <laughs> weren't particularly green that's true this is uh probably about the time that killer seven now that was probably earlier <laughs> that was a lot earlier actually uh and again no green enemies um 2009 was the year of brutal legend doesn't fit panetta doesn't fit uh <laughs> 
Gosh, this, is, um, this is shocking. Are you ready for this? This is, this is shocking to me. I just Googled 2009 popular games. Mm-hmm. This game does not make it into Google's cards at the top. <laughs> okay. But I, but it, I will yeah, say it that? is probably more popular than just about any of the games that do appear in Google's top uh, cards. Interesting. Can I have a 10 and a 0? Yes, yeah, you absolutely right. <laughs> okay, the zero. Overrated garbage. This game doesn't even deserve to be called a game. In my opinion, it just gets boring when you first play it. Horrible game is horrible. <laughs> okay. Um, that was tough to read. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, a 10. This is, this is a good one. With plenty of colorful backgrounds and charming protagonists and antagonists, <laughs> which are weapons and targets in Redacted, it's one of the <laughs> funnest, most varied Redacted games. Interesting. So I, I have a, uh, I have what I think is a pretty solid guess here. So I'm rooting for you. Just to kind of dance around it a little bit, because this feels like the kind of game where, like, once you know it, you know it, yeah. right? So was the Second platform that barely anyone experienced it on the Wii. Oh, if it 3DS? came out on the Wii, I it doesn't say it here. Okay, but primarily a mobile game. <laughs> uh, that is correct. Yes. <laughs> All right. This will be the Angry Birds. Oh my well done, well done. Yeah, because they stole the, what, they stole the eggs or something like that? <laughs> I think that's right. So, summary, let me tell you, these ain't no ordinary, or, ordinary finches we're talking about. These here are the angry birds, the ones, I don't know why they wrote this copy, <laughs> the ones that are going to kick you in the nads, and they're the ones on your side. They must be from <laughs> Galapadinapados or something, Colonel Angus Bird Expert. <laughs> Uh, the survival of the angry birds hmm. is at stake. Dish out revenge on the green pigs who stole the birds' eggs. You got it. There we go. Use the unique destructive powers of the angry birds to lay waste to the pigs' fortified <laughs> castles. Oh, wow. Good one. Um, there's a few things in there that, like, hearing it unredacted are kind of misleading. In a yeah, way. I, like, I I would be with you. I'd go into RTS territory. I would be... Like a bird expert. A bird like, I don't get the sense that there are non-bird or pig characters in the game. So like, it would be like me talking about like military... Right. Military uh, strategy, strategies and calling myself a human expert. It's like, <laughs> what? Right. Also, like, uh, studying birds does not earn you the rank of colonel <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. The, the thing that took me by surprise is I googled 2009 popular games, and at first I was looking through them, I'm like, oh, they, they think I mean, like, console-slash-PC games. You've got mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed, uh, Left 4 Dead 2, Modern Warfare 2, um, RE5, but then if you scroll a little bit, Doodle Jump does end up on that list so <laughs> wow utter disrespect <laughs> yeah i mean the angry birds didn't uh unless they're wrong about the year here um which i suppose no, 2009 is correct although it was december of 2009 oh, so, so maybe it didn't uh sales kind of trend post game or of the year discussions uh maybe they <laughs> kind of use those rules i didn't read the uh the 10 review that said simply genius this is the best game for the iphone and it's a steal at 99 cents i figured that would be too much of a giveaway 
What was the second platform that you had in mind? PC. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was just kind of looking it up, and I'm not even seeing a PC version on the Wikipedia page anyways. but uh, I'm wondering if it was I one of those, you. like, also a Flash game or something. Could be, yeah. Or, like, if you ever go to, like, the Windows 10 Windows Store, which I know that you probably don't as a Mac user, but, like, <laughs> there's some real garbage in there. <laughs> like, there's, I like, do visit the Windows Store. I do. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, Angry Birds, I, I, user score 6.5. So what a, <laughs> that's a one of those one. games that was so popular that I feel like there Huge. has to be something there. But like every single time I played it, I just thought like, this doesn't feel like fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are people getting out of this? I got many, many levels deep into Angry Birds. I did enjoy it. And then, cause that 2009 was two years after the iPhone came out. So the idea of these games at all using touch and stuff felt so fresh and novel um but i do think <laughs> rovio maybe was convinced that it had a little bit more staying power than it actually did for a game heck they they, they made a movie out of that thing right yeah <laughs> all right well let's uh, wrap it up there thank you everyone for listening today and uh, we'll catch you again next week bye <laughs> Thank you.